Good morning. Well, welcome to the first week of a new series called I Quit. And I imagine every single person in here has said those two words to an employer, to somebody in a relationship, to a bad habit. Maybe you've reached the end of your rope and you said, I quit. I'm finished. Well, there are some things in our lives that we need to declare, I quit, if we're going to be able to live the life that God has for each of us. And we're going to talk about four important things that each of us need to quit over the next four weeks. You're not going to be able to quit them all over the next four weeks, but you're going to be able to get started. If you have kids, you have probably noticed they like the three words, that's not fair. Anybody's kids say that besides mine, especially when they were little? Yeah, that's not fair. And what they would do, they would look at what brother or sister got or, or friend got, and they would think, well, what I have is not as nice. It's not as new. It's not as cool. It's not as colorful, whatever. And they would say, well, that's not fair. You're letting her do that. You're getting him that. That's not fair. And every time my kids would say, that's not fair, I would want to say, get over it. Life's not fair. You need to understand if life were fair, every guy would be six foot two, 165 pounds, full head of hair and rock hard abs. That would be fair, wouldn't it? But it's not. And then some people, most people grow up and they're still saying, well, that's not fair. He got that. I don't like it. It's not just kids that say it. It's grownups that say it. And we get in the habit at a young age comparing ourselves to other people and developing our own self-worth based on either how good somebody is or how bad somebody is. And we get in this trap of comparison. So in this first week, we are going to commit, right, to saying, I quit comparing because you can't win when you compare. It's nothing new. It's not just modern days that people have started comparing. People have compared themselves and sized themselves up against others since humans have existed. There's a couple stories in the Bible I want to share with you about people who compared. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, just raise your hand. Ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep if you would like a Bible, an extra Bible. You know somebody that would like one. Just uh, let them know and they'll give you one. If you'd just like to use it and leave it in the back on the way out. That's okay as well. A couple different stories that illustrate how people have always compared and the downfalls that come with that start in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel, a story about a guy named David. And you, if you've gone to church, you've probably heard of David, David who killed Goliath, David who was a shepherd boy, David who was king, David who wrote the Psalms. And this guy, David wasn't always king. This guy, David, used to be just in the king's court. He used to just be an assistant to the king, a help to the king. He played a harp for the king, and that king's name was Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And Saul needed someone to go out and defeat this big giant named Goliath. And so David signed up for the role and said, I'll go do it. He defeats Goliath, and they come rushing back into Jerusalem. They're all happy that the Philistine army has been defeated. Picture like Queens, we will rock you or we are the champions play in. And they're all coming back in to the city and all the celebrations going on. And this is where we pick up. First Samuel 18, beginning at verse six. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, 
Women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll make him their king, which they did. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. The moment Saul started to size up his life and compare his life to David's, it began to fuel jealousy. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Comparison fuels jealousy. Instead of enjoying the fact that Saul's, that his army, that he was ruler over, that his nation he was king over, instead of celebrating the fact they had just defeated this very difficult enemy, he gets jealous. Because David worked for him. David worked in his inner circle. So any win for David was a win for Saul. But Saul didn't see it that way. He looked at a win for David and thought, whoa, whoa wait a minute. He's, he's getting more recognition than me. Why are you saying he killed 10,000s? I only killed thousands. That's not fair. That started a long time ago. People saying that's not fair. When all he had to do was realize this is a win. This is good. But he couldn't because he saw David as a threat. Because he used David as the standard to measure himself. And it led to jealousy. Another story in scripture comes from the New Testament. And it's when Jesus was trying to talk to some religious leaders about their self-righteousness. And he's trying to say, look, here's two groups of people, and this is how one group acts. They're called the Pharisees. And this is what Jesus said in Luke 18. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't commit adultery. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. So here's this religious guy that would have read scripture, that would have gone to church, that would have worshiped God, that would have been a good dad, a good employee, a really good person. He's saying, well, I thank God I'm not like him. Now, if you're honest with yourself, you've done that. You've looked at somebody else's life and said, well, honey, at least we're not that bad off. At least we, you know, it's not that bad, or at least I don't look like that, or at least I don't weigh that much. I mean, you have thought those things in your head, and that's what this Pharisee is doing. He's looking at this tax collector who was part of the, the worst group of Jewish people he could possibly be in, because tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman army to collect taxes from the Jews. They were considered traitors. They were worse than any IRS agent you could imagine. And so the Pharisee is standing before God saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. And that's all he could do was compare himself and say, I thank you that I'm not like him. And his comparison for him does what it does to us. It leads to pride. Continually comparing ourselves with somebody else is either going to fuel jealousy or it's going to lead to pride. C.S. Lewis said this. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they're not. They're proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or equally clever or equally good looking, 
there'd be nothing to be proud about. That's true. And we live in this competitive world that causes us to judge our success based on what someone else has done. To look at someone else's life and think, I'm either really good or really bad based on what their life looks like. There's some of you I can look at and I feel really good about myself. Then there's some others of you that I can look at and I feel really bad about myself. So you can't win when you compare. Either you're going to end up jealous or you're going to end up full of pride. Both are losing propositions. You don't want either one of those. My vehicle that I drive is, it looks kind of good on the outside, but it's 10 years old, 140,000 miles. And my family laughs when we go through our neighborhood and we hit a bump, it just makes this, all this noise. And we're like, what fell off? You know, look, like nothing has fallen off. I don't know what makes the noise, but it like rattles really bad. And, and just a, a week or so ago, I sat down in somebody's brand new, it, it, I won't tell you what kind of car it was, but it only had a number. So that's cool. You know, when your car's a number, you're like, you've arrived. So I sat down in his car that only has a number on the back lift gate. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It smells great. You got all the cool little things on the dash. I want one. And I got in my 10 year old car feeling like what a piece of junk. Well, I, I could go, I need to go get something else. I need to go buy something else. And I felt really bad. And then this morning I pull in after comparing my vehicle to the one that only has a number. I pull in and I see Joel's 92 or three. I forget what it is. (laughs) Chevy Caprice station wagon. And I'm like, I have an awesome automobile. I love mine. It looks good. It drives great. It smells great inside. And all of a sudden I feel prideful because mine's a lot better than his. So you can't, you can't win. You either end up becoming a Saul and you're jealous of somebody else, or you become a Pharisee and you have pride that you think you're better than somebody else. So we all do that. We all compare and we either become a Saul or a Pharisee. And that's where we get to this next idea about comparison and write this down. Comparison is the death of contentment. If you want to be content in life, you have to stop comparing. Now we live in a world that it's really easy to compare. And I would say 90% of the people in here or more, you are on some kind of social media, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, something where you look at other people's lives or a snapshot of other people's lives. And then you gauge how your life is going by how their life is going. And although those forms of social media are great to connect with people, great to get to brag on your kids. I do that on mine. They're great to to share ideas and, and beliefs and struggles. It's great for all that. But the big blind spot for all of that is people end up looking and scrolling through and comparing their life to what they see in someone else's life. So if I just scroll through my Facebook news feed right now, I, I, I see, okay, here's a guy, ran a 5K. Um, his buddy ran a 10K. They both came in first, but uh, they were probably the only people in their category, right? <laughs> a, a good friend of mine, his church was about the same size as our church about a year ago. They opened a building two months ago, and they have 3,500 people now. That's awesome. 
It's great for him, you know. There's somebody else. Somebody went to Disney World. That's great. They're not in church. They're in Disney World taking pictures. Um, Somebody lost 20 pounds. Now, nobody ever does the opposite. Say, hey, take a look at this. I gained 20 pounds. You know, nobody does that. They just put the good stuff on there. Somebody else bought a brand new car. Awesome. Good for you. You bought a new car. And we start doing that and we think, wow, well, my life isn't like that. My kid didn't get a scholarship. My house doesn't look that way. I don't have that much money. I don't get to travel that much. And before you know it, you have moved into an area of being discontent, all because you're comparing what, for the most part, is God's blessing in other people's life and they're sharing it and that's fine. But you know that's not the whole story. I mean, nobody posts, hey, I got a new car. I don't know how we're going to make the $625 a month payment, but I got a new car. We went to Disney World and we came back with $3,800 on the credit card. Nobody posts like that. So you're just seeing, you're just seeing kind of like the best side, the good stuff. And if you compare yourself to that, you will never be content. And those of you who are younger, who are going to live the rest of your life. I mean, we remember what life, some of us was life was like without all this stuff. You don't, if you're a teenager, you don't. So right now start realizing, use this for the benefit, but don't use it to compare my life to somebody else's life. Cause I'll lose a hundred percent of the time. I read an article a couple of weeks ago by a lady named Shauna Nyquist, and it's called Instagram's Envy Effect. Uh, and I'll, I'll post it this afternoon on LifePoint's Facebook page, which is kind of ironic to do that, but I'm going to put it on there. So get on there if you want to read this whole article. But here's what she says. She starts out talking about the conversation she's had with her friends. One, and one of her friends said this statement that made her write this article. She said, Pinterest made me hate my house. Pinterest, if you don't know what it is, it's just pictures of really cool stuff and, and gives you ideas. And so somebody was looking at it and thought, well, my house is nasty. It's awful. I can't, I don't like my house anymore because of what I saw on there. So she says this, but seeing the best possible, often unrealistic half-truth version of other people's lives isn't the only danger of our new social media world. Our envy buttons also get pushed because we rarely check our Facebook newsfeed when we're having our own peak experiences. We tend to check it when we're bored and when we're lonely, and it intensifies that boredom and loneliness. When you're waiting for your coffee to brew, the majority of your friends probably aren't doing anything any more special, but it only takes one friend at the Eiffel Tower to make you feel like a loser. See, comparison causes my contentment. It just pushes it out of the way. It kills my contentment. And when I resent God's goodness in others' lives, it's easy to ignore the blessings in my own life. So you can't win by comparing. So together we need to say, I quit. I'm finished. I'm not comparing anymore. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, had this to say when he's talking about some people who were teachers in the church in a town called Corinth, and they were bragging about who they were and about how smart they were and they were boasting. And he starts out very sarcastically saying, oh, don't worry. We wouldn't dare say we're as wonderful as these other men who tell you how important they are. 
but they're only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. So what Paul is saying is, it's ignorant to take your life and look around at other people's lives and think, well, how am I doing? Well, oh, I'm doing really bad because look how great they're doing. I'm doing pretty good because look, look at the mess they got themselves into. And he's saying that's ignorant. You can't look around and let the standard be anything horizontal. He's trying to say, look, the standard for our lives is vertical. It's not looking around at other people in the world and feeling bad about ourselves or really good about ourselves because of what they have or do or what they look like. He's saying that's ignorant. He knows you can't win when you do that. So if we're going to stop the comparison trap, if we're going to declare, I quit comparing, we have to realize a few things. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, you need to realize what you are in Christ, who you are in Christ. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, these are some of the things that you could have if you just step across the line and move into the family of God and say yes to Jesus and follow him. And if you don't know what that means and how to do all that, please come talk to me afterwards. I sit right down here at the front after the service. And I'd love to talk to you about what all that means and how you can step into the family of God today. So here's what I have to realize. If I'm ever going to stop the comparison trap, I have to realize, number one, what I have. I have to realize what I have. The Apostle Paul continued writing to churches in the first century. And he wrote to this church in a town called Philippi from a prison cell. And he said this, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. He's saying, no matter what the circumstances are in my life, I need to realize I have the strength of Christ in my life. And that's a vertical strength that comes from Comparing, I have strength in my life that comes vertically down from God through the person of Jesus Christ. So whether things are going great or whether they're going bad, whether all the bills are paid, whether they're not, whether I have a new car or I don't, or I get to travel or I don't, or I reach that optimum income level or not, I can still be content because I can endure anything through Christ who gives me strength. That's the standard. The standard is not your cousin or your brother or sister or the person who lives down the street. That's not the standard. And if you go that route, you'll never find contentment. Paul calls this contentment a secret, something that he discovered, something that he learned. So if a lot of your life is saying, well, that's not fair. I don't have that. I, I want this. And, and, and they've got this. Why don't I have it? And wow, I look a lot better than they do. You need to stop comparing and start to learn contentment over time. It's not something today you can just say, okay, I'm going to be content. And honey, let's write that down. Let's be content today. And then I can't wait to what we get to quit next week. It's more than that. It's something that's learned over time. And if Paul, who was one of the greatest people other than Christ, who had influence on the church, had to learn how to be content, 
then we definitely need to learn how to be content. And it's never going to come through comparing ourselves with others. Another thing I need to realize is who I am. Realize what I have and realize who I am. And it's very important that if you're just starting to follow Christ or if you're a teenager, you need to realize that you teenagers have friends that are going to go on and be way more successful in the world's eyes than you are. You, they are. They're going to make a lot more money, be more famous. More people are going to know them, have more influence. There are some of your friends that are going to do that. But there are other friends who won't. There are other friends that are going to be way worse off than you are. And so you have to determine who you are before you start to interact with people who have done way better or people who haven't done nearly as well. You've got to realize who you are. And there are hundreds of scriptures that tell us who we are as a child of God. One of the most powerful ones is in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. Where it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. C.S. Lewis, who I quoted earlier, had a spiritual mentor named George MacDonald. And this is what George MacDonald said when it comes to seeing ourselves and realizing who we are. He said, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been thought about, born in God's thought, and then made by God is the dearest, grandest, and most precious thing in all thinking. So when you know who you are, it helps you know who you don't have to be. So when the temptation comes in to say, their stuff is better, or theirs is cooler, or their kid got this, and when, when, the, when the temptation comes in to start to be filled with jealousy, about what somebody else has or has done, or when the temptation comes in to feel better about yourself, so you look at someone else's plight and think, well, at least I'm not, and fill in the blank. When that temptation comes in, we need to come back to the center and realize that contentment is only going to come through comparing ourselves vertically and receiving what we can have vertically, not anything we compare ourselves to horizontally. So today you can make the decision and you can say, I quit comparing. And you can walk out of here with the resolve that you're no longer going to compare yourself. So now when you scroll down through your news feed, you can celebrate that people are doing what they're doing and realize, well, that's just half the story. I know there's more to it. When somebody else has a difficult time, you don't have to feel like, hey, at least I'm not that. You can feel like, hey, I want to help or I want to feel sympathy because all of my value comes from something I get vertically. That's the challenge in this first week is to quit comparing. If you're here for the first time, I'd love to meet you after the service. Just come down here afterwards and, and introduce yourself. I'd love to hear a little bit about your story. I hope to see everybody back here next week for the second part of I Quit. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing uh, things that you do for us. And God, thank you for the way you fill us up with confidence. And God, help us to quit comparing ourselves to other others. And enjoy all that you have for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.